Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast for a very excited and long-awaited episode. Today we're covering parts one and two of The Lost Metal by Brandon Sanderson. I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey, and joining me today is an all-star lineup of guests. We've got the excellent Jared Livingston. Hey guys. Uh, Sanderson expert, Josh Harkey. Wow, expert. Yeah, yeah. I'm underselling you a little bit. <laughs> oh my God. And, uh, and of course, my wife, Lauren. Hey, guys. Yeah. Uh, before we head into the episode itself, just a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, original fiction, and much more. And now I'm going to make the summary for this week short and sweet since we're starting late and I expect this episode's going to go long. So just to dive right into things. The Lost Metal is several years after the events of Bands of Mourning. Wax and Steris are happily married with a couple of young children. Uh, Wayne and Marcy are investigating the set, trying to figure out what's going on in Elendel. Uh, they discover a cavern under the city with a secret operation going on. Um, they infiltrate it, take them out, and find some clues as to what the set is up to, including a neutralium spike. Uh, meanwhile, Wax and Steris are busy being involved in politics, and a new Malwish delegation shows up. Uh, Wax has a brief encounter with them, uh, as well as his son having a brief encounter with the bathroom on the airship. Uh, and, <laughs> and they kick into action by the end of part one. They are heading off to Bilming to figure out what's going on there, because, well... Magical nukes are a thing now, <laughs> and uh, and we gotta we gotta figure out what's going on with the set and what they're planning on doing with those. In part two, they head to Bilming, where Marcy is recruited by a world hopper named Moonlight, and we have a, a couple of shootouts. Uh, Wax and Wayne are tracking down leads. They end up at uh, a newspaper shop printer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and Telson shows up. We have an encounter there and we are left with, uh, Marisi heading off with moonlight, trying to discover some secrets, uh, and wax trying to, for once outsmart his sister. So as direct and to the point as I could get, so we can actually get into this episode. <laughs> Um, but starting with, you know, writing style, I think we, we got to talk the prologue first. This, this, uh, era two, the series has, um, stuck with a pretty standard prologue structure where we get kind of like a flashback to, uh, a major life event, um, well before the event, the main events of the book. This time it's Wayne's childhood. What did everybody think of this Wayne, Wayne prologue here? Mm. Eh. had you heard it before jared uh, had i heard it before yeah so when he was out doing signings this is like the snippet that he's been reading out loud no yeah i think he read it at jordan con this year somewhere else and... too oh wait he, he... oh did he read it at dragon steel last yes, year that's what yes. he did yeah i think both I mean, it's hard because I've really cooled on Wayne just overall. So, yeah. <laughs> what about it's Kid fine Wayne? For Kid me. Wayne's innocent. 
What about what? Kid Wayne's innocent. What about him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Go ahead. No, I, uh, I mean every kid is innocent. I guess I don't. It didn't. That didn't. That wasn't like that weird to me. Um, I, my favorite part of the prologue was just his mom, just because she's delightful. Yeah, can't can't argue with that. Do you did the kind of the emotional gut punch at the end of the prologue land for you guys? Maybe the first time, but this is like the fifth time reading it. So. <laughs> Good God. How many times have you read this thing? <laughs> well, hearing it read to oh, me right, right, right. like two to three times. And yeah, then, yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't doesn't land anymore. <laughs> I mean, a little bit, but you kind of knew it was coming, so. Right. It's not like it was a big shock or anything. But also, this is the first time it's been Wayne. Yeah, all, all three of the previous prologues were wax. I, personally, I like the wax prologues a lot more. I think... I think my favorite one is Bands of Morning. Although the Alloy of Law prologue is really good. I don't know, but I'm kind of in the same boat as Jared. This is something we'll get to more in characters, obviously, but I I just don't have a whole ton of patience for Wayne uh, at this point in my reading. But but I just I I, I kind of liked at the same time that he stuck with the same motif in his prologues, but he switched it up for this last one. I think it gives this book a little more of a, uh, I don't know, a little more weight, maybe. Yeah. This indicator of this is the end. We're doing something a little different. Uh, you know, we're, this is a much longer book than any of the other era two books. Uh, like even, even just in comparison to Bands of Mourning, like part one in this is 19 chapters. Part one in Bands of Mourning was four chapters or five chapters or something like that. Like the pace of Bands of Mourning really just flew. And here I'm not going to say the pace of this book is slow, but there's a lot more going on. It's from the get-go, we have all four major point of views getting some solid time in part one, you know, like, Brandon is getting a little more ambitious in this book as he wraps up the era. This is all, this book is a lot less focused than Alloy of Law, for example, at the other extreme end of both the series and that style. Yeah. Yeah. Like this feels more like a, you know, more like an era one style of like epic fantasy rather than a pseudo magic Western adventure story, you know? I mean, yeah, because yeah, you're bringing in oh, yeah. other gods and other worlds into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like for real. Oh, man. Yeah. This is getting beyond the, the prologue, obviously, but the, just the fact that the number of POV characters that you have in this book, um, I don't know, it's, it's bigger, at least the time you spend with them, I guess. Yeah. Like we've gotten, um, you know, multiple, we've gotten Steris points of view and Maracy points of view and Wayne points of view, but it's, it's always felt a little bit of like flavor to the wax show. And here there's, it feels a little more even, um, the, the spotlight is getting shared around a little more than it ever has before. The stakes are higher, obviously, you know, now we have a world ending threat. Uh, like we did in Era One, whereas you know they, like you said, it was a lot more focused in the first three books of Era Two. Um, 
I think it's a nice transitionary feel for the book since era three, by all accounts is going to be more like era one. It's going to be those bigger, fatter doorstop epic fantasies. Um, and this is a nice middle ground. I don't remember what exactly the word count is on this, but I would guess like 170, 180,000. Yep. And you know, the, the era one books were all like 215 to 250 and alloy of law was like, I don't know, 95 or a hundred. Like, so it's, it, it really is landing in this middle ground. And I think that's deliberate. You know, I, I think Brandon's aware of what he did in era two and how this, even though he's made it a full-blown era and a full-blown trilogy, it's still going to feel a little bit like an outlier in the grand scheme of things when when he finishes Era 3 and Era 4. People are going to look back on this and be like, oh yeah, like that was a fun little side adventure sort of thing. And this is his book to pull it a little more back toward what the rest of the Mistborn eras are going to be like. Well, I guess going back to the prologue, he's used the prologue in each of these books to set something up for us. And this time, Wayne as a kid seems less relevant than the other scenes setting up Lessie and showing his time in the roughs. Yeah, there was always a thematic touchstone in uh, in each of the prologues. And this one, I don't think it's as readily apparent what that what that element is as it was like coming straight out of, uh, you know, alloy of laws prologue or shadows of self. Like when we in, Sh- in shadows of self, when the prologue is all about wax and Lessie meeting for the first time, you know, their relationship is going to be important for the book. Right. And here, I think it's a, a little more, um, a little more obvious, obfuscated, but at the same time, I kind of appreciate that. Brandon is not necessarily the most subtle writer in the world. Uh, and so, and uh, I, I don't want to get too into this specific point because this is something we'll really talk about when, when we finish the book, but this book is a lot more subtle than some of his other books uh, in, in terms of, themes and and meanings and symbolism, I think. So starting off with a little more subtle of a prologue fits that. I mean, I think it's going to be relevant based on a prediction I have, but maybe that's for later. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. (laughs) Like I, one of my favorite. So, so for, for those listening, Jared is reading this for the first time. Josh, Lauren, and I have all already read it multiple times um, because we were beta readers. So like we're, no we're looking forward to Jared's predictions, especially, <laughs> but, but yeah. Uh, so moving into, you know, the, the book proper, um, I don't know, how, how do you guys feel about the pacing through two parts? Cause we're almost exactly halfway through the book. Uh, Jared, especially, you know, does this feel good? Does this feel like a good pace to you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, at least I'm usually judging these things by how eager I am to continue on. So, yeah. And you're yeah. eager? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, like one of the things that even though the development of the story is a little slower than the previous books, the increased Cosmere content goes a long way toward 
making making the story like like pulling me along. You know, if if we didn't have these scenes with Moonlight and Marisy, I feel like the Lost Metal would read a lot slower to me, at least. Like that that makes some of those. Um, it gives a different dimension to some of the scenes that could get bogged down very quickly in the same old politics. It feels... Me... <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, it feels like the stakes are higher for sure, and I think that probably helps with the pacing. Like, yeah. it, it, it just reads like an end is coming, you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, I, I think that part one... Um, was on a first read um, was really gripping. Um, I was really frustrated um, when uh, Wayne splits off and they're doing their experiments and it has the chapters that go back and forth. I was just dying to know what's going to happen with with each one of those. And so um, I don't know, I was pretty hooked. I'm curious to see how that will change down the road when it, when it's less of a surprise of what's going to happen next. Uh, And then in, um, in part two, there are some, there are a few parts that are a little bit laggy for me. Um, I feel like the, the, some of the fights that happen, I guess that mainly that, that opening fight in the first couple of chapters feels like it goes on a, a bit too long for me, but, um, for the most part, I think the pacing's great. Yeah. So when you say the first couple of chapters, do you mean the first couple of chapters of the book or of, of, of part, part two? two? Okay. Yeah. Like the warehouse where there's yeah. the, yeah. Okay. Uh, and we see, we meet the, um, the not wax and not wane. Yeah. <laughs> Hemallergic doppelgangers. Um, yeah. How, how about that? Like, how, how do you feel about those, those characters, Jared? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like, I forget what the term for it is, where you're throwing in another factor at the last minute kind of thing. Yeah. I th- there's a term for it, but I'm blanking on it. So I like the idea of enemies, he- hemallergically powered enemies. I feel like that was set up really nicely through Bands of Mourning. Um, and this was the sort of thing I expected going into the Lost Metal. I'm not sure how I feel about specifically giving the same powers to to make like foils for Wax and Wayne. Um, like there's, there's the, I guess like rule of cool, you know, the Sanderson zeroth law, it makes a lot of sense with that where it's the sort of thing that Brandon totally enjoys writing, obviously. Wait, what's Brandon's zeroth law? What the heck? Uh, like air on the side of awesome. (laughs) What? I haven't heard this before. Yeah, like rule of cool is what it gets called a lot. Like basically, yeah, follow your own internal rules and stuff. But when in doubt, do the cooler thing. Hmm. Make it make it more exciting. Make it more ridiculous, bigger, more bombastic, whatever. Um, and having these characters who feel larger than life because they're constructed in story to be larger than life characters, you know. That that is a very Sanderson thing to do. Um, I know on my first read of the book, I was expecting more out of that first fight. Like I was expecting them to have not just like the same abilities, but like 
unique and new adaptations of them, new uses, and and that didn't manifest in that first fight. So that was a little bit of a letdown. But I remember just being curious to see where that was going to end up. So, but of course, that's for next episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. I guess like I'm more interested in. Uh, the setup behind that than the actual dynamics of, you know, fighting your doppelganger, basically. Yeah, like, for what it means to Wax and Wayne, I don't care much about that. Like, they have more interesting, even though I'm not a big Wayne fan, they both have more interesting internal character things going on at this point than, oh, what is this weird weird person with spikes who have who, who are like trying to act and and counter me directly you know that's it's another layer it's another added complexity to the story that obviously you know again helps like kind of bridge the gap of the really streamlined focused earlier era two books and what the rest of the mistborn eras are going to be but i'm not totally sold that it works I, I'm I'm okay with their powers being what they are. I think it maybe it makes sense that they wouldn't want to, you know, get too experimental and just kind of, you know, give the same powers. Hey, this will make an even, you know, playing ground, maybe a couple extra powers. And then, uh, so I, I think that makes sense. I really don't like, um, what's the, the girl, what's her name? Um, I don't like her whole shtick about trying to be exactly like Wayne. Like it's just yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, that doesn't really work for me. And I, in general, I feel like what happened is Brandon realized, oh, I don't have any like villains for Wax and Wayne to fight because Telson's like the big bat. She's, she is a uh, trail now and, and we're doing these like God things with her, you know, who are like my middle tier characters for Wax and Wayne to go, you know, have a fight and out in the streets of, of the city. And so he just yeah. had to like make up some new characters. And, um, and I, I don't love that. I, I kind of wish that there was some like dangling you know, lackey from like a previous book that he could have like pulled in and like given them a, a hemallergic spike. And it would have been like, Oh, you know, this character came back and now they're, they're powerful um, as like new characters. And a fourth book is just kind of awkward. Yeah. The, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, we don't have a miles or a lessee in this book because like you said, T- Telson is doing Shardic level stuff or avatar level stuff at least. Um, but yeah, I, I, on my first read, I remember thinking as far as the, the Wayne girl goes, I was like, is this going to be some weird, like Wayne falls in love with her thing where like she, she ends up getting like, she gets too into his head and be like switches sides. And, and like, I, I remember thinking like, that's such an absurd thing, but everything about Wayne is so absurd that like, I can't count it out. <laughs> he did just get broken up with. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, that is not on my list of predictions. <clears throat> <laughs> Good to know. Uh, he likes unavailable people. That's who he goes for. Wayne. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Like, he goes for relationships that are, are completely unrealistic and will never last. I mean, Milan lasted for six years. It was always going to end, you know, and but, Renette was never even going well, to start. Well, yeah, Renette was its own thing. I'm okay. I'm, 
glad that Brandon handled Renette the way he did in this book. That was much better. Um, you what do you mean in terms of Wayne and her relationship? Yeah, yeah, like that. Wayne chilled out a little bit. Um, I liked, I liked, um, I liked his joke about how he has horrible taste in women, and Renette says the thing about him at being after her, and he's like, he like proves her point or whatever. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm yeah, yeah, really butchered that, but I love that line. <laughs> yeah, like he had the moment in Bands of Morning where he's like, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna be the, you know, I'm gonna grow up and be an adult about this and move on. But we don't really get much beyond that brief scene because again like part one of bands of morning is so fast and then boom they're out of Alabella and heading to new Saren, and and so here we get to see him actually act more like a normal human being around renette because when we did see him acting around renette in the first couple books it was not great i think that's a lot of my problem with him is he just he acts childish to me a lot of the time yeah Definitely. I mean, that's that's getting into character. But at the same time, like, do we have more style points to go on? Like, I don't have a ton to talk about on a prose level with Brandon. We've covered so many of his books at this point that I feel like I've said everything. Um, I thought I thought it was an interesting choice to do a time skip on the final book in a series. It just kind of is weirdly detached from the rest of the books yeah. to me because of that. And so it's just kind of a um, maybe it plays into the the point you were making about kind of trying to bridge to era three a little bit. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. it's part of that, but um, it's just kind of interesting to me how it is set apart that way. It definitely surprised me. I can't remember if I read, if I had read first that it had been six years or if he had, it, like if it mentioned his kids first, but either way I was like kind of jolted by it. Not in kids a bad first, way. Yeah, I definitely had that same reaction my first read where I was like, whoa, like I felt a little um, like disconnected from the narrative all of a sudden because I was not expecting there to be like, because what the gap between Alloy of Law and Chaz of is like six months and then it's less than a year between Chaz of Self and, mm-hmm. and it's like 18 months total across those three books. And then suddenly it's six years here. And it's like, whoa. Um, again, I get it from a plot level perspective, um, when we're talking about the development of technology like this, um, he needs time in world. Uh, it also gives him an, uh, an opportunity to play into the mallwish politics side of things. Um, but again, that's, that's definitely bridging to era three type stuff. So... I, I'm curious when this book comes out. I'll, I'll be. It'll be interesting to see how people react to the discontinuity in the timeline between this book and the rest of the series. Like, because it was a thing that a lot of people had a, uh, problems with with Rhythm of War in Stormlight Archive. Uh, there's a pretty big time skip, and that's a divisive book to say the least. <laughs> Jeez. I don't think this one's going to be quite as uh, everything is in, in bigger proportion in Stormlight. So the reaction, I think, will be more uh, more volatile for that than it will be for this. But, but who knows? I mean, there's some real interesting things happening in this book <laughs> that I'm not sure everybody's going to love in the fandom. 
Does that include Jared? No. no. Oh, I'm pretty sure you're going to love it. Oh, oh okay. I, yeah, like, obviously we're going to get into more Cosmere details later on, like bringing in Cosmere spoilers, but just straight out of the gate here, the Cosmere elements are way more obvious. Like, like they are very present in this plot from early in the book. And, you know, we're, it's, it's been an ongoing conversation for the last few years of, you know, at what point are we going to reach where we say, no, you have to read other stuff before you can read this series. I feel like read this book. a lot of the Lost Cosmere, Metal, if it's not over the line. It's, it's towing that line. So like at least through, um, part two, it feels like a lot of the Cosmere stuff, he's just kind of coming right out and explaining things and kind yeah. of saying, okay, if, if you don't know now, like you need to. Yeah. Like let's just have a conversation where you've been, this, this whole trail mystery has been like dribbled out in little tidbits and, Oh, we're just going to explain it. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, there's, there's like scenes or he's like, yeah, but um, by the way, it's called a shard or, by the way, it's called Shadesmar, uh, you know. Yeah. And I I like that he's using Marcy as the vehicle for it. Um, I've been very vocal on our previous era two episodes that Marcy is my favorite character in this era. And this book is a big part of why. Um, I like the way he handled her character arc in this book and tied it back across all four books was really, really well done. So, uh, I mean, should we just start talking characters? Yes. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I mean, we're already on Marisy, so. Because uh, you want to be. Because I want to be, yeah. <laughs> this is my podcast. Do what I want. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like she, she has this constant, struggle across the four books of defining who she is in the first book. A big part of it is, you know, that she is an illegitimate child. She's a bastard. She's seen as, you know, kind of this just pushed off to the side person and kind of develops like a new mentality for life to like really put herself out there and, and be aggressive at life. And, and then she gets a little bit of like a reality check after meeting Wax. And in the second book, she becomes a constable, but she has all these self-doubts about why she's been given the opportunity she has. You know, she she realizes, oh, like they're using me to get closer to Wax, but it's not entirely that. You know, and and here now we finally get to this point where she's comfortable with who she is as a constable. She's operating under her own merits. And now she's given a chance to redefine herself again through Moonlight to become a, you know, a realmatically aware person and adopt a new stance, a new duty for her world in a way that she wasn't even aware existed before, you know. And I love that escalation. While she's finding herself kind of frustrated with the more mundane aspects of her job that have been wearing on her after, you know, six years or so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as oh. they would for anybody who's partnered with Wayne. 
am I remembering correctly also kind of just from a character perspective in that scene um, where they're waiting at the, is it the newspaper place where Wax just wants to break in, but she kind of steps in and tells him that they need to yeah. hold off. Yeah. So he's kind of like standing up to him. Yeah, the the amount of maturity she's gained from the Alloy of Law till now is extremely satisfying to read about. Alloy of Law her would not have done that. No, like she really felt like a young adult, like a teenager. You know, I don't remember what exactly her age is. She's she, in she's college. Like, yeah, she's she's like in her last year of university, I think, in Alloy of Law, something like that. Um, so she's maybe early 20s, but she she feels like not a fully developed adult. She hasn't found her way in life. She doesn't have a whole lot of self-confidence. She has low self-esteem. You know, she's she's a little bit afloat. And here she has found an anchor for herself. She hasn't fully committed to it yet because she's been given a new you know opportunity in life. Um, but she has that self-confidence that she was lacking in the earlier books. Uh, she knows that Wax, yeah, he is Waxilium Donshot, this legendary, you know, lawman and hero and everything, but he's another human being. And in her own right, she has become a hero as well. Like that ties back to that really great moment at the end of Bands of Mourning where she sees Steris's list where she was like rating the usefulness <laughs> and she had Marcy rated as more useful than Wayne. And Marcy's like, yeah, you know, what? But and now really she's excited. With confidence, that assumption, that just self-assurance of I I know what I'm doing. I know how to go about this. And I know what's right and wrong. And I'm willing to tell tell Wax, you know, when he's when he's getting ahead of himself. Like Yeah, I'm I'm excited for what's coming. With her and Moonlight, even though I have a bad feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? Uh, I do not fully trust Moonlight. Okay. <laughs> That's more All of right. a hunch than like any specific piece of evidence, but. Okay. I mean, she's been behind the scenes, clearly, for a period of time, and she's just now saying something like why i guess Man, yeah I... not not everyone can be like delicately hoid neutral <clears throat> <laughs> or 17 shard non-interventionist yeah yeah Man, so the first scene that moonlight shows up in when she sees her outside the the speed bubble or slow bubble as it were uh, I I remember immediately thinking that's Telson, and of course it makes so much more sense that it that it wasn't. I had no idea yeah. what the uh, you know where Telson was going to be going because um, like the with the end of Bands of Morning, obviously she, she got away, and you know she's been you know given spikes and things, and she's more important than Edwarn was. But I never had the impression that she was like this that she was going to end up in this like top of the 
top of the line position where she's like literally becoming an avatar. Uh, you know, there's, there's like, that's a big step to take. And so I was expecting her to be like trying to take a more hands-on approach in this book and start trying to like mess with the people around wax, but moonlight being who she is, is so much more satisfying than what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, to be determined by Jared. Yeah. Jared's like, I will withhold judgment. <laughs> yeah. Withholding judgment. Because uh, Jared is the real authority on this book. Uh-huh. R-A-W-J. Read in, read in withhold du- judgment. <laughs> I like that. Nice. Uh, let's, let's talk wax. Wait, How are we feeling about wax? Oh, oh you're not done. Lassie. Okay. So if you notice... She's confronting her own legend when she gets to the precinct for the first time. Yeah. Hmm. And how unrealistic it is, just like Wax's was a little mm. unrealistic. And she's she talks about how she tries to make it very clear what her assets are and what that she's not um, some superhero with mythical powers. Like she's she's like, this is what I got. This is what I'm doing. Which, Look, what are you I talking about when they first, technology. which scene when, uh, when she goes to the precinct and talks to ready after their initial mission in the sewers. Oh, that's right. And all these women are kind of joining the precinct because she's a legend. Yeah. That's... Oh yeah. Weren't they like cheering for her or something? Yeah. She's yeah. like, what? The... This is weird. Don't <laughs> applaud me. I reek. <laughs> okay, so I wasn't going to bring this up on this episode, but then you had to bring up that thing. So this is just too perfect to pass up. Um, there is a relatively famous Gene Wolfe quote from the first volume of the book, The New Sun, Shadow of the Torture. And and the, the first line of the quote is, we believe that we invent symbols. The truth is that they invent us. We are their creatures shaped by their hard defining edges. And that is, line is Maris's character arc. It is, she is trying to create an internal symbol of who she is, but finds herself being pressured by outside things, outside symbols that end up defining who she is. Like the out, the external symbol of bastard of illegitimate is what defines her in the first book, you know? And, and then Friend of wax, and then... yeah, and it goes on, and there are different symbols, and and so Lauren, like you think about how she finds her confidence, she finds her comfort as a as a constable, but her legend grows beyond that and begins defining her herself in the eyes of other people once again, and she's and she's uncomfortable with it. And, and then she meets Moonlight and now she has another external symbol that she has to grapple with and decide, is this what I'm going to allow to define me? And I love that. (laughs) It's interesting. You took that in a different direction, I guess, that my brain was going, which was the the simple root of like the, the parallel with wax and the, the symbol that he represents and the, you know, the, just the legend that he's built up around himself. So I'm really curious to kind of sit down and like, I guess kind of parallel those and think about what that means for each of them. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like I, I just think she has the, the most dynamic character arc of the four main era two characters. 
and it's in large part because of this, like the the complicated way that she interacts with societal, cultural, and personal symbols. So, thanks, Lauren. <laughs> uh, but let's let's move on to Wax, though. He, I mean, he's a dad now. Josh, how do you feel yeah. about that? I love I love that as a, as a father, um, it's it's pretty sweet. Um, I especially I mean I, all the moments with his kids are just really really fun. I love like uh, Max like handing him the drawings when he's like getting ready to go to his uh, to the the Senate uh, gathering. <laughs> um, best scene ever when they're on the airship and Max has to take a dump. Um, it's just like such a like. I mean, how often do you get a fantasy character with like a, you know, a five-year-old kid or however old he is? Yeah. Um, like it's, it's just something really fun that you don't normally get to see. And I, and I, and you know, Brandon's a father, he knows exactly what that's like. And he's just, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's showing that on the page, you know? And so I think anybody who's a father, like immediately is like, this is what it's like. Um, so I, I love that. Um, one of my favorite scenes of part one is, um, the, the very end when he's about to take off and Max is like awake and sees him leaving and he makes the comment about, uh, you know, how he's his treasure and, you know, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm not trying to find new treasure. I'm going to, you know, protect the treasure I have or whatever. So it was really sweet. And I, I think it puts his character in a, in a, in a different, different light, a different place than he was at before. So. Yeah. And, and he's an older dad too. Yeah. He is. Yeah. How old is he? He's like 38 or something. Oh, I no, I don't know 40s. what his actual age is, but he's in his forties, right? Yeah, maybe thirty-eight. Last, I think book? he's. I think he might be like mid. He's like mid to late forties. Now I want to. Is it on the copper mine, Josh? Wayne is. Uh, Wayne is. Wayne is almost forty. Wayne's like. Oh, you're right. In his late thirties, and Wax is a, a, a little bit older than him. Yeah, maybe hmm. I'm thinking of of Wayne being thirty-eight. I think he he thinks yeah. something to himself right before they they break up let's see yeah. he was born in 299 and alloy of law was 341 so yeah he was 42 in alloy of law he's wow yeah. okay. he's a much cool. older dad yeah 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 that that is an interesting like dynamic that i never think about too much the age gap steris is older than marisi but she's not that old like she was what like mid to late 20s in alloy of law uh so she's she's like yeah early to mid 30s now yeah that that is a pretty substantial i mean that that just goes like there ties back to the the sanderson arranged marriages trope there's so many arranged marriages across his cosmere series uh and so, it, but most of them, the characters tend to be more or less the same age. And so you can, it's easy to kind of forget that there's this tremendous age gap, even though Steris has the same confidence issues that you would expect from somebody younger. Uh, she yeah. knows who she is and she has for a long time. Sort of. Well, she, okay. I She knows who she is and like that she can't change herself. She, she, she's Stairs? not. The, yeah. Yeah. Like she accepts herself the way that she is. And she, 
moves forward, like trying to deal with the world that's not in her style. See, I don't know if she did accept herself for who she is until she really developed her relationship with Wax. Because she was so self-conscious about everything. I mean, she she's self-conscious because she knows that she's not great socially. She she sees her shortcomings. She's, she's embarrassed. By she's it. embarrassed. Yeah. So I I don't but think I could she, say she's I, she accepts it because she's embarrassed until Wax shows her, you know, like this is not a problem. This is something special about you. See, I see her accepting it in that she makes lists to prepare because she knows that it's going to be rough and she's going to do her best. I love that, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, for everything. Did you? I think a major. You... I don't Sorry, like, jump around characters, but I think a major step for her was her little speech to all the politicians, senators. Are they senators? Yeah. I think. Yeah, even though it wasn't the success she yeah, wanted. I'm, I'm interested to see where how she handles that moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of her. For doing that. She was so uncomfortable about it. Yeah. So I talked in, you know, about the like style side of things that there was like much more of a balance uh, among the four, but I still feel like Steris has the, the most minor role. She has the fewest points of view. I'm pretty sure of the four major characters. Um, like I, I liked being in her head, but I kind of wanted more. I wanted more from her her early chapters like this. Especially once she got separated from Wax. Like that that's a real chance to let her shine, you know? Hmm. I was actually to me it was actually a little bit disappointed almost that she was left out from the rest of the group because I don't know, I guess I I I it's frustrating. The, the lack of interaction with the others to me is a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a great time in Bands of Morning. <laughs> yeah. What was that? What the, in Bands of Morning? The, the fact that she went along on the adventure with them, mm. like that, that made for some of some really entertaining scenes. And she ranks herself. <laughs> Her like bringing Ipecac to get them out of the party and, and her, you know, instructions for the innkeeper. They're running away. She's like, whatever, page 17, frame for murder. It's all there. Like, there's So there's one in this where, like, <laughs> she has seen Marisi have a relationship yeah. with Alec and she takes notes on it. And yeah, she yeah. goes to Wax and is like, should I should I be acting like this? Should I be doing these things? And he's like, what? No. <laughs> it's endearing. I don't have much to say on Alec, but Alec's great. <laughs> Makes me want pastries. Should I cook? Should I bake something? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how he... Uh, he just says adjective now instead of like trying to come up with a new ridiculous title for adjective waxillium. He's running out of uh, running out of adjectives he can use, so just kind of stick with the yeah. standard one. <laughs> well, I mean, 
he gets he keeps getting told to stop it. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like that's that's an example of like Sanderson hitting my sense of humor. You know, like Steris. A lot of the stuff with Steris last book. It's just Wayne in particular, man. Like, well, he's doing it on purpose. We we have a, some POVs from him here. No, I I, I get that. I'm. I'm talking about, like, removed from an authorial standpoint. This oh, is Brandon fine, Sanderson's fine. sense of humor. <laughs> that is one thing that, like, I, I admit I get frustrated with sometimes where, like, I'll, I'll be, like, talking with people on forums or things. And I bring up, like, a, a criticism about, like, like a, a subjective criticism. And somebody, like, argues back at me with an in-universe explanation. I'm like, no, I get why the characters are doing what they're doing. <laughs> I just disagree with the authorial choice to have them do that. <laughs> like, like, I don't know, but, but that's always going to be a subjective thing. You know, the, obviously that was a big part of our Dresden files episodes where like, I just, yeah, didn't like the main character there. And, and I didn't enjoy a lot of the aspects that Jim butcher as an author clearly enjoys writing about. So, and that's that's just a thing. Brandon Sanderson and I have very different senses of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. But but on the topic of Wayne though, Lauren has a point. Like he's definitely adding depth as this series goes on. I can't say that this book really changed the way I feel about Wayne, but I can't deny that he made Wayne more interesting and, and a more, what's the word I'm looking for? In these, just first, a deeper character than in these he first had two been. parts. Yeah. Well, we, we peel back some of the layers, which is nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, like, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> he's been, s- I would consider him somewhat of a deep character. I mean, he has his issues that he needs to get over with that um, that girl that he goes to see whose parents he All shot. Around, right? He has the whole deal and from that where he has to like get over handling a gun. So now in this book, he's like able to do it, I guess, but is shaking or something whenever he does it. Mm hmm. So, I mean, like, I think he has interesting arcs to explore with him. It's just the sense of humor personality that turns me off to him. Yeah, that's pretty much the boat I'm in at this point as well. Like, the first couple books, I thought it was just... Like, I didn't didn't feel like the characterization went deep enough for me to look past the sense of humor. And now, by this point, I'm like, yeah, I can at least a bit look past that and and see more value yep. to the reading experience with his character. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I think to me, like the big thing in this book was a better sense of his own self-loathing. Um, yeah. I don't know that yeah. I got that from previous, uh, from previous books. Um, and I don't so, think so. I, this book from the very beginning kind of really lays out how he sees himself. Um, He's, he's a little bit more honest with himself than you've seen from previous Wayne POVs. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Then there's... Uh, ooh, how do I want to put this? 
especially without touching on second half of the book things. Like, yeah, there's definitely a little more of a sense of self-honesty. But it's almost more like his facade is fracturing a little bit. That he's, he's getting exhausted trying to not only convince the world of what he is, but convince himself of what he is. Why? And, and he's, he's just being forced to put, put his life in context. You know, he. Why now? Why not earlier? I mean, good question. <laughs> the authorial answer is because. Yeah. But like, I don't see an in world. I think Milan breaking up with him is a big part of it. Yeah. Hmm, why? She was a rock for him. He he clearly had unrealistic expectations of that relationship. That like it he he wanted it to last forever kind of thing. And even though there's the fundamental lifespan incompatibilities. Yeah, he always uh, knew it wouldn't. Yeah, but but like he he found a, a a solace in her. She was a kindred spirit in a lot of ways. I think she understood him in ways that nobody else did. And when he loses that, that is a massive blow. And he starts unraveling a little bit. Yeah. I, I think um, I, I could swear that there's somewhere where he kind of lays it out a little bit. Maybe when he's speaking to Marcy. Um, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of precisely where, if you think about it, like he always had Wayne to latch onto. And I think that after Wayne has kind of, I'm sorry, wax, wax. to latch onto. And after wax has kind of moved on, he's got Steris, he's got this whole family. Um, he's a Senator now. And um, I, so I think that he kind of probably kind of shifted and latched on to Milan. And so now that she's also leaving, um, it just kind of puts him, I think in a, a place where he feels more, more vulnerable and yeah he's isolated in a way he hasn't been since the roughs yeah but he chooses that a lot Mm. does he ever get close to anybody else well no that's that's that in internal vulnerability that he doesn't want to admit that he has and now he's being forced to confront it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so sad. Sorry. Are there any other characters that we want to talk about before we go into the Cosmere stuff? <laughs> I was a little bit bummed that Milan pieced Bounced. out. Yeah. yeah. But also, hopefully, future got important things to do presumably yeah well i expect to see her very very soon (laughs) (laughs) we shall see uh i feel like there were a lot of just like good not like not a whole ton of depth but like a lot of good cameos from characters like love marsh like you know we (laughs) He's he's just great. <laughs> he's always great. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, like the the bit we get him on is nice. Like even Vendel is kind of entertaining. I was say. Like Vendel is. I don't know. I feel like I would actually kind of like Vendel if I. Were <laughs> I don't know about that. I know he's set up to be this like stuffy, like <laughs> you know, sarcastic and drunk. But yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alec is just so exuberant, like happy. Yeah, fun. I. I wish that we got more with Alec. He's. Yeah. I I don't want to like spoil. Josh, I can't remember. Have you finished reading all of the Black Company? I have not, but you okay. don't worry about spoiling something if it's yeah. well. There, there are characters introduced in Soldiers Live, the final book, whom I love. Jared knows who I'm talking about, and I like Alec. I kind of feel the same way. Where like I wish we had gotten more of them earlier in the series because they're just a joy when they're on the page. <laughs> Okay. And yeah, like the pastry thing. Like he he has this massive sweet tooth. Like, and, <laughs> and he's corrupted Marisy. He loves to entertain, and he's like he's way too emotional and for their culture. <laughs> yeah, I, he's great. He's so entertaining. I've been jaded by the Game of Thrones of the world, and now I'm just expecting horrible things to happen to him. <laughs> hey, hey, this is a Brandon book. Well, <laughs> you say that, but like. Brandon has been known to do pretty horrible things to his character. Yeah, but it's not it's yeah. not as dark always. It's not as random. That's the thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what about Moonlight, Drew? So maybe we bridge characters well, here. I want to I want to say one one more. Uh, uh, Ready. Okay. I really like getting uh, to see yeah. Ready and Mercy's relationship. That was just really delightful to. So yeah, he's, he wasn't in Bands of Mourning, so maybe some people like kind of forget about mm-hmm. it, but they had a pretty rocky relationship, her and Mercy, back in Shadows itself, and so it was kind of fun to see how far they've come. Yeah, I had forgotten about that um, before we reread Shadows of Self just a couple weeks ago, like because I had only read Shadows of Self once, literally the day it came out, and, and, and Reddy was just... Like that, that was such a minor thing, relatively speaking, in that book that I had forgotten about it. And then rereading, I was like, you know, this is, I liked the way their relationship developed in that book, you know, where it ended, where Marisy's like, no, you should give him a shot. Like, and, and now we get to see them and they have like a good relationship. You know, it's, there's that mutual respect that wasn't there in Shadows of Self. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. They, they overcame some. And I think that that goes hand in hand with Marisy developing her own confidence and and respecting herself. And and that kind of emanates outward, you know. Mm -hmm. But but Moonlight. (laughs) So, oh my gosh. So full Cosmere spoilers, but obviously we are not going to talk about the second half of Lost Metal. Yes, no, no spoiling part three. But we will be talking about things like the Stormlight Archive and White Sand, Warbreaker, Elantris, Arcanum Unbounded. You know, all that's fair game here. So Moonlight. I'm going to just start this off. Jared, who do you think Moonlight is? <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't have a specific person that I was guessing at this point. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> I, I know my first reading of it, I like... 
I was battling with myself over who she might be. Uh, the curses she used weren't ringing any bells for me. So I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, you they know, were. You, you had, no, no. What, they, okay, remind me what her curses are. Uh, she, she, she says knights as a curse. And and that one I remember the first time she saw it, I was like, like Taldane maybe? Like, like, I don't remember a place where like day and night would be something worth cursing about. And except for Taldane, but that doesn't even make sense because they don't think of it as night. They just have it as dark side. And so I was like, what is going on here? And so it was a really fun, like eventually the clues mount and, and I was like, okay, okay, yes, this is who this is. Uh, but as as I had a really fun something. time like arguing with myself um, in the, you know, the, the beta spreadsheet. I was like, you know, in my commentary, I was like arguing with myself on the spreadsheet yeah, over who was, she was. It was silly because nobody else was there. And so it's all your <laughs> comments when we get there of like, is it? No, it's not. I don't know. But as long as I haven't missed something obvious up until now. Uh, it's, it's a lot like the way he's developed other cameos in like Stormlight, for instance, uh, like Vivenna in High Marshal Azure, like from oh. the moment she's introduced, there are clues that she's Vivenna. But as you go along, they get more and more direct until you get hmm. to the point where she's like, "I know about Nightblood, and the guy <laughs> who trained you in these katas was the guy who trained me." And you're like, oh, "Okay, you know." Uh, so th- they will get more. <laughs> okay, they will get very obvious eventually. <laughs> um, but but she's just like beyond her identity, oh my gosh, a treasure trove mm-hmm. of Cosmere information. We're just, yes. just straight out. We're gonna be like, all right, trail is autonomy. Drew was right. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that as I was reading it. Like Yeah, so mm, that chapter. Sweet, sweet vindication. <laughs> that chapter with Harmony. Yeah, uh the end of part one. Oh man. Yeah. Poor Sazed. So yeah, trails autonomy, but those people theorizing about Discord, not yeah. not wrong. <laughs> yeah, there there's some major Shardic level things going on here. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, no more hints. We're just gonna lay it out. That surprised me. Mm-hmm. Like love, this is uh, where I, I oh, love when Wax asks him um, what it is, and he's like. He, he, whatever he says, like the first like line or two, and Wax is just kind of stunned, and he's like, "You didn't expect me to just answer you, did he?" And, and Wax is like, "No." He's like, well. <laughs> "That's Sanderson little, talking directly." Meta, to yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's what I was kind of hinting at earlier. The style conversation, like this book, is just just so direct with the Cosmere, um, and obviously, there's more to come. You know, we we still haven't even gotten to the second half of the book, but in the first half of the book, like these are, we have never gotten Cosmere level things so early in a book before, even in Rhythm of War. Like Brandon is absolutely entering a new phase of the Cosmere with this book where he's like, I am not hiding this anymore. It is, it is in the open and it is directly impacting the plot. It's not just flavoring. It's not Easter eggs and cameos and hidden secrets. 
this is the story now. I mean, he had to at some point, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But I like, I know there are fans out there who don't like that. Well, they can ignore it. <laughs> can they? Mm. It's getting to the point where they can't. You can try. I mean, you can only do Easter eggs so long. Mm-hmm. I see. So I, I still stubbornly hold to the belief that you can read all these books without needing the context of the other ones. I think that Brandon is doing a pretty good job explaining what you need to know in a, in a natural way um, in the book itself to where you, you hop in, you don't have to read white sand and know like some kind of backstory about autonomy to come in here and like read what says saying and understand, Oh, okay. There's, you know, another God that's showing up on this planet and he's, you know, that's like says and he's going to be doing, you know, these things. Um, you know, I know what ruin and preservation are. Okay. This God cares about, you know, these different things. So, um, mm-hmm. I think he does a good job. Um, at a, managing that in a way that that if you have an extra background there's something extra there for you but you don't need it yeah like i don't i don't think you can say like it's it's a mandatory thing that you have to read the other things but i do think the potential frustration levels for a reader who hasn't are rising yeah wouldn't you like uh, i don't know i feel like you'd almost be forced to go look into some of these things after reading these scenes with harmony, like, you know, what do these terms mean if you've never come across them before? Yeah. And there, there are things like, we're definitely going to touch on this again in the next episode. Um, But like moonlight showing up and outright teasing secrets like that is, is a different, a different sort of step than we've seen before. The, well, actually, no, I can't. I can't even say that because Mraze has been doing that in Stormlight with Shalon. It's it's definitely. But I also it's a level of rhythm of war. So the um, the thing that it makes me think of, and, and this is probably entirely intentional, and Brandon is fully aware of this, is um, it makes me think of um, the MCU. Marvel Cinematic Universe, where like these like characters, I'm not a, like a big comic book person, but I love watching those movies. And so I go to, a, you know, the, the latest movie and there's, you know, some new character that pops up. And like at the end of the movie, I want to go and like hop online and like look up who is this character? Because, you know, some people are sitting in the audience and they know like, oh, this is their whole backstory. This is like what their whole thing is. And I don't, yeah. and I don't know that. And so it's kind of fun to c- sit down and go look it up. And so to me, I think that that's kind of Brandon's thinking about it is, hey, you know, I might, I might tease these characters and you might want to go and like look up something about them, you know, but it works without as well. So I, I think yeah. that's in his mind what he's thinking he's doing. Yeah. So that happened for me with, uh, with Wanda, with WandaVision. Uh-huh. I, I have a friend who's a huge MCU guy and he knew all of it. But also there was a YouTube video where they put everything together for me, you know, and it was it made the story so much more interesting knowing that, I don't know, halfway through the show and just being like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, like this, this character is so much more interesting than I thought they were. Hmm. I had no idea. I kind of view it as. 
like looking at era two as a whole, like I wouldn't expect readers to start in era two. No, please don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so, so I mean, what I mean is like, I think it's safe to start introducing these things in the way that he is here because it's not like people are starting out with this. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it would be a totally different thing if if he was including this stuff in Miss Barnera One. You know. Uh I think he taking a look at the big picture, he does a, a fairly good job of like giving it a smooth ramp up. Um, but I think that ramp up is accelerating. And it 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 started accelerating in rhythm of war. And this is like another big step. And and I I feel pretty confident that Miss Barnera three is going to be similar to this level of Cosmere involvement, if not more. Do you think for the whole planet or do you think just for the characters that are concerned? I think just for the characters, I don't think we're going to be seeing like interplanetary. I mean, cause then it can't be mm, like that's, that's Miss Barnera four. Yeah. That's Miss Barnera four, but I think that this feeling, I think that this is going to be the new normal for the Cosmere for the next decade or two. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that Stormlight 5 is going to be like this. Yeah. Um, I think that Era 3 is going to be like this. The Elantra sequels, if we get them, which we probably will at this point. Man, is he going to be done when he's like 95? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take a little while, but that's why he brought on Dan Wells. <laughs> um, yeah, the like obviously, I like the way he is is integrating the Cosmere into this book because that's the sort of reader I am. But I can totally understand why there are people out there who get frustrated at this sort of thing that you you can, and even even for people who've read everything, I see frustration online with people who are like i've read all the books and i have no idea like i go and i look on the 17th shard or on the cosmere reddit or whatever and i don't understand half the words people are talking about and i do think that is a bit of an like a bit of a a sticky subject how much extra textual information there is about the cosmere through words of brandon and like the annotations for books and things like that but in terms of and yeah, the unreleased books. Oh man, I. <laughs> we'll talk about that at a later date. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm talking about the ones on his website. I I know. Okay, okay. Um. Yeah, we'll talk about that more. Probably next episode because we'll be able to talk about just like everything published. Next episode. Um. But yeah, there just is a lot of information out there that like the reading experience isn't going to be equal for everybody who steps into the lost metal. And given given what era two has been like up to this point with a really focused, like Josh said, you know, like those quick snappy adventures and then this where it's just like surprise 
And for for the really informed Cosmere reader, it's not a surprise. But for some people who maybe have only read Mistborn, it, this is going to be like a definite blindside, you know. I mean, to me, it makes me want to go read other Cosmere stuff more. I definitely think that's what Brandon wants it to be. Yeah, yeah. Like his in his ideal world, those people who have only read Mistborn get to this book and are just like, "What the heck? I'm going to go buy thirty other books by Brandon Sanderson right now." Yeah. <laughs> or you know, just being able to reread things with the knowledge you have now. Right. It does like it. It makes me kind of reflect on my own Sanderson reading experience, where. I like because I started reading the Cosmere so long ago. I started reading 15 years ago when I first picked up the Final Empire. And and so I didn't have a choice in how I approached what reading order I chose or anything like that. It was just like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to read this Brandon Sanderson book because he, you know, like it sounds cool. I'm looking for something new. And it's on the shelf at Barnes & Noble. I'm going to read this Brandon Sanderson book. And then I enjoyed it. And I find out, oh, he's writing The Wheel of Time. I'm going to go read this other Brandon Sanderson book. And those were the only two books that he had. And like, and I think now how potentially overwhelming this could be for a new reader who's like, who's this Brandon Sanderson guy? I heard he made a boatload of money on Kickstarter. I should check out his stuff. And then you open the Wikipedia page and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> It could be overwhelming. What book should I start reading with? 100 different answers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder I mean, how many times you guys a, have been asked that question. Of social media posts of like people coming up with their own Sanderson reading orders. And like I, I spent a great deal of time and energy on my own recommended reading order. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, I give up. <laughs> The secret projects broke me. I'll be honest. Uh, I'm just, I'm never going to update my reading order again. I'm just going to say like, read, read these things before Stormlight and then do whatever. Like, Wait, well, no, 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 no. Just include them in like an Arcanum way. What do you mean? Arcanum Unbounded, you know, has a bunch of yeah smaller side stories with less connective tissue than this does yeah but that's the problem is everything has more connective tissue now (laughs) like i i just i don't have a good answer for start with mistborn that's my only default just start with mistborn yeah that's that's what i always say too i'm like if if you don't want to get into a a full-blown trilogy maybe start with elantris instead yeah or warbreaker but like the vast majority of people I'm like, here's the final empire. Enjoy. I tried that. I need to try again, but <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um but as far as rhythm or rhythm of war, wow, lost metal goes, are there any other immediate cosmere things that we need to talk about? Jared? I, I especially want to hear from you. Uh I mean don't give me any spoilers. No, 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 no. But yeah, it's like, hard to guess on a lot of the on a lot of this as of now. I feel like. Well, let's talk about like the red mist and uh, the trail spikes. 
so we know it's autonomy now. And, okay. And true, it, but... it makes yeah. sense. Like, I mean, it, it always made sense. <laughs> There's a reason that the theory got as popular as it did. But I think the most interesting mm, potential from this is like Wax's experiment, you know, trying to mm-hmm. split Harmonium. And the interaction between the god metals, like the way... Okay, no, let me let me back up here. The impression I have is that Trellium acts the way it does because it is autonomy's god metal. It wants to repulse another god metal. If we're taking that, if if we're assuming that that's a fact, that opens up so many potential interactions between investitures based on the intents of the shards, like. Like what? What would happen with, you know, honors god metal? Like, would that like spontaneously alloy because it's all about bonds? Like, <laughs> that could be fun. Uh, theoretically, <laughs> like the, there are so many just fun, ridiculous theory opportunities because of the implications of this one experiment that Wax does in part one. What did what would cultivation do? Would it just like form new, I don't know. new compounds? Another god metal. Like you put it down and compound, compound, compound. A seventeenth shard. <laughs> this is uh, uh, so Brandon. It's it's just really interesting. Like Brandon's really known for his hard magic, but he also like builds it in this way where like it's just like these really open possibilities. He can you know, he can just come up with he can tell you whatever he wants it to be. You know. Uh, as long as he's, you know, consistent with his rules after that. But, um, you know, I, I love how, how open that is, you know, and like, who knows, like how many of those will ever actually explore. I can't imagine that we're going to like find out like, oh, this is what all 16 right. God medals do, you know, by the end of the cosmic, yeah. you know, there's a couple of them we'll find out, but some are just always going to be a mystery and it's kind of fun to see which ones will be answered and which ones won't. Yeah, like one of the reasons so many people were opposed to the autonomy is Trell theory was because it the, the actions of Trell and the actions of the set didn't conform to their individual perception of what autonomy means. But like Brandon has Moonlight pointed out in this book, like this is this particular interpretation of autonomy. You know, there, there are so many ways you could... Uh, you could interpret that. And yeah, isn't it by nature individualistic? So yeah, but, but at the same time, the set has this, like, you know, there's serving is a big thing. And, and, and like building, we see building has like its own, it's become this like autonomous utopia, but in a, in a, like it's autonomous on a like city state level, but in, in the actual society of Bilming, it's it's not quite like it's not anarchy. It's not like every man for himself, you know. There's so there's just a really fun avenue there for Brandon to interpret his different shardic intents in endless texture. <laughs> yeah, and it's something from a writing perspective I appreciate because 
uh, I'm already doing a similar thing in in All Flames Cast, Jared, where there's there are magics there, and one of those magics is the power of creation, and and so I'm like, well, depending on who's using it, they're going to be more or less creative <laughs> with the power at their hands, and so like even when you're doing harder magic like Josh said, like Brandon was genius about how he set it up so that he has his defined rules that he sticks to, but those defined rules don't box him in on a creative level, on an authorial level. He has At least so what we many avenues that he can explore in his storytelling. But he didn't make it easy. He didn't he didn't do a whole lot of hand waving where he's like, uh, don't look over here. Well, it right, just, yeah, it, it just works that way. It, it is a soft magic system. He generally abides by his own laws of magic where, you know, like the 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 ability of characters to use magic to solve their problems has to be limited. Yeah, Otherwise yeah. it removes the tension from the stories that he's telling. Yeah. But I, I mean, without going too much in the into the deep end here, but what I don't fully understand is how autonomy, for example, like logistically ends up on Skadrial. Well, it's not autonomy; it's Trell. Like, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like Avatar of of autonomy. Yeah. So obviously they're, I shouldn't say obviously, <laughs> I assume. <laughs> it's intuitively really obvious to the casual that. observer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I oh, assume RJ. that autonomy has splintered itself, themself, herself, whatever you want to, uh, but like and sent splinters out into the Cosmere. There are also, we know with Pat G that was a pre shattering chunk of investiture that got assigned to autonomy. Oh, geez. Like, you know, so there's, <laughs> I mean, I'm super excited to find out more about how avatars work as, as the Cosmere goes on. I, I was fascinated to find out in this book that like, like I, I had asked Brandon, um, Ooh, what, what signing was it? Was it Cytonic? No, Starsight. It was the Starsight Denver signing. I asked him if people could ascend to avatars. And As he, in, like a normal person, yeah, like like how how says it ascended to become a shard. I was like, could somebody become an avatar? And he he said yes. I don't remember his exact wording, but there was like there was some wishy washiness to his answer. But he said yes, and so I wasn't expecting like the faceless immortals in this, like to to like literally be that where where like a a guy's like basically being possessed by Trell. Like uh-huh. Trell autonomy is speaking through a human being as like, you know, they're so I guess that I guess my up so many like potential weird things in the Cosmere. So I guess my question is, has 
Trell been around this whole time? Like since? Don't think so. Well, so here's, this is the big question. You know, we go back to <laughs> Trellagism, the religion that Sezed preached to Kelsier in the final empire where there was a God named Trell worshiped on Scadriel. Was that the same entity as Trell in, in era two with the Trellism instead of Trell, Trellagism? I don't think so. I think probably the original Trellagism was a morphing of Cosmere knowledge. I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the other God's name is Nalt. that, that's got to be a connection to Nalthus in some way. Um, but as autonomy has put tendrils out into the Cosmere, she has co-opted existing religions and established chunks of her investiture to create this pantheon of avatars all over different worlds. Okay, so here's my theory. On how that could have happened. The Adium mines. There was a huge trading system. Like cross world trading mm-hmm. system. Through the Adium mines. Okay. Easy for somebody to get. In. Maybe influence something going on. You mean get in from somewhere else. Over generations. And then we have this weird. Amalgamation of things. Do we know things. what. Well, so Trilogism obviously existed before the Lord Ruler. Yeah, but the Adium Mines were there. We don't know anything about the Pits of Heths in pre-Lord Ruler Ascension. But we do know it was a trading, like, mecca. Hoyd tells us that. During the Lord Ruler's reign. Yes, but I would assume that they didn't just find it for that thousand years. I think that they would have had to have existed because it was all part of preservation's yeah, plan to trap Ruin and to, and to keep his power separate. Yeah. But the question is, what what were they like before the Lord yeah. Ruler terraformed Scadriel? Was that... Because this also ties back to the character Trell in White Sand, who was around a long time before the events of Mistborn Era 1. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, do, I do just assume that there must have been... like some level of like world hoppers coming to Scadriel, even that far back. Um, I don't know how, how busy it was, but I I think there's room there for. Yeah. Knowledge. We, I mean, we have the world bringers who pre predated, you know, and they had some level of realmatic awareness. Hoyd was around apparently since he was, don't we have that word of Brandon that he was involved with the establishing of both the world bringers and the world singers. Of course, but, but yeah, so like there, I just don't know what the extent of that travel was like, but it, but it had to have been, it had to have been some sort of Cosmere knowledge that percolated to Scadriel and became a religion. I don't think it was a deliberate from the beginning. I don't think it was a deliberate act by autonomy to like set up a God on this other planet. I think no, that's a no, more recent I development. Don't. Now I am like I do have to wonder if the, um, the Pure Lake Gods and Stormlight Archive is something that Autonomy has planted. I think there's a word of Brandon that like Autonomy has sort of insert has like tweaking religions. So like the the creation of Trellism, 
I can imagine that autonomy made that change to the religion to build up some followers and then, Hey, now it's time for me to come in and, you know, take over. I've got these, like, you know, I've got this seed plant that I had planted and now it's time to like make use of it. And so I can imagine that autonomy has done something like that on Roshar where, Hey, I'm going to plant this religion. And if one day things go a certain way and I need to be involved here, I'm going to show up and these, this is like where I'm going to start working. Yeah. So so that makes a lot of sense. There is a word of Brandon that always confused me. Um, where somebody asked, is there a link between Trell and Nalt from Mistborn and New Rollick and Voon Makik from Stormlight? And Brandon said, no, maybe just tenuously. And that the report was that he was confused why the question was asked in the first place. And that like baffles me. Yeah. That might be a little bit too much commentary from the. Yeah. And that is true. It is paraphrased. This is not one that we have audio for. Um, but like the guy, the guy who asked that, I know him, um, from the Cosmere theory, uh, group on Facebook and like, he's, he's a pretty hardcore, like, you know, theory guy. Interesting. Um, and I, yeah, like, in fact, I think he asked that question because of my original trail is autonomy post in the theories group back in the day. But, but he, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like, it would make so much sense if that is, a, you know, autonomy messing with things. Because it tracks with what we know elsewhere. All I know is if Sanderson offs Sazed and destroys <laughs> Harmony, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> What if somebody awesome takes over? Huh? I don't care. You're thinking negative. Lift? Lift. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, no. Because I said awesome? Yes. Great. I would be so upset if Seiza died and Lift ascended. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't like her. No, I don't. If you guys are trolling me and Lift somehow shows up in this. <laughs> Moonlight is Lift. Moonlight's I'm Lyft. never reading more Sanderson. <laughs> She could be the right age. This takes place after the first five of Stormlight. <laughs> it's gonna bug me all night who who Moonlight is. Oh well, you you're gonna together. get to read after. This, so you could piece it together if you really try, but you might as well just read the book and find out. Yeah. yeah. I, our our next episode is gonna be so much fun. <laughs> Uh, but well, on that point, though, if we're done with Cosmere like conversation, we still need to get predictions from Jared here. <laughs> oh, first of all, yeah, that reminded me of uh, what I was talking about at the beginning. Is I think he is setting up Wayne like perfectly to get killed off. Okay, I was the at the end of part two. I was one hundred percent convinced of that. Yeah, I also mean, <clears throat> me too. And especially with that prologue, I feel and it kind of worries me because I feel like he wants it to be this emotional gut punch thing at the end. But it won't be for me because I don't really like him that much to begin with. Hey, hey, you haven't read it yet. We'll see. see. (laughs) 
Jared, Jared anticipating an emotional gut punch so much that <laughs> it's not going to be a gut punch, but then a different <laughs> gut punch is going to get him. That would be Sanderson-like for sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think uh, what else, who else would be a gut punch for me? I mean, anything with Sazed, but I don't know. I I don't need, uh, it's hard to fun. say. <laughs> I'm trying to determine how maniacal Sanderson is going to get. <laughs> well, I'm, well, I'm excited to see what your reaction is going to be. Wait, what? What do you think about what's going on with the set? Like, what do you think's going on? Like, who's behind the set, or what they're doing, or whatever? Um, I feel like we got enough answers already. Like. So much we just came out and told, like, yes, Trell is autonomy. This is yeah, what I the mean, set is doing. They're building this bomb. Like, is it Telson, like, basically leading the set at this point? Yeah. Well, uh, Rafa, I oh, guess. God. There's definitely is someone else. Oh, no, yet. But is someone else leading the set that I don't think is? <sighs> Do- Okay, I, I can't remember because um, I didn't I didn't like do a complete reread. I was just skimming over a couple of parts. Do you know who Moonlight is working with, Jerry? That's about to. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, who Moonlight is working with in what context? Like, like, who is she trying to recruit Mer- Marcy to join? Oh, I have no idea. You don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's trail slash autonomy. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she's pretty clearly opposed to what the set is doing. Yeah. But okay. Oh man, the next episode's gonna be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm completely in the dark about her identity, so it's hard to say. Yeah. But like I, it might, well it might become obvious if I were to go back and read her scenes again. But I might as well just finish the book. So, yeah. Well, I encourage you as you finish the book to text or message me. <laughs> it's. I wouldn't say that it's obvious unless you. you it requires piecing together a lot of yeah. probably some obscure things. That, um, so, it it will become more obvious. They're, they're just, oh, there are so many fun things coming up, man. Yeah, you definitely need to text me when you get to. Well, it'll be sometime. You'll know when. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you'll know. Sometime. uh, What I I convinced Rob to record himself reading the end of Words of Radiance. (laughs) Wow. I don't think I've ever had that kind of reaction ever. But that was that's still one of the best videos ever. I, I can't remember if we ended up posting that on our Patreon or not, but it's it is truly incredible. Josh, have you seen that video? I have. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to get him to do do recordings for Rhythm of War as well, and he he didn't do it. I was very, very disappointed. <laughs> but and now he's off, you know, doing boot camp in the Canadian wilderness in the middle of winter. So I can't How even dare he? do it for lost metal. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, uh, if we don't have any more predictions, uh, 
Obviously, we're going to save three favorite scenes for next episode. I think that brings us to the final draft then, yeah? All right. Uh, Jared, what are you drinking? Oh, yeah, I almost forgot I even had this. Um, so tonight I have from Huss Brewing, which is an Arizona brewery, their Oktoberfest. Nice. So it's a Marzen. Um, I think this is the first time I've ever had their Oktoberfest. It's what you would expect. Dry, malty. I don't know. What's the ABV? Uh, 5.5. Just out of session range. Quaffable. Yeah, but not true Oktoberfest right now. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Well, Oktoberfest now is like 3 to 5% and it's a, yeah. Because it's it's made to drink a lot of it. Right. (laughs) Wait, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Like the ABV for Oktoberfest specifically, like across different beers? Well, there's two different kinds of Oktoberfest beers, right? There's Marzen's and so, their Fest beers. So it has changed over the years. Like the original beer that they had is different from like yeah. then Marzen, then like sessionable, like three to five percent is what we're talking right now. Yeah. A Fest beer. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't like go so far as to say to call this like crushable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a Marzen is a, it, it has a rich flavor, you yeah. know, it's not, it's certainly not like a party beer, you know, like a, no, you know, the kind of thing you're going to play beer pong with. Uh, we not that, that I would know anything about that. Oh, uh, we did that with Guinness too. And it was a terrible time. Jared, do you remember that St. Patrick's party? <laughs> Whose dumb like, idea was that? After two beer pong games. <laughs> Oh, college. It's a meal. Doesn't help when I'm losing all the time. So, yeah, it's true. I didn't drink a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> depended on honestly, it depended on the teams. There were Jared. So for for the listeners who are interested in the exploits uh, of Jared and Drew during college, I'm um, sure they're so interested. There were there were four of us who were all good at beer pong, and it was just a matter of like which night, what the teams were, and who was on. But like. There were there were some pretty epic uh, streaks with with uh, various combos of us. My favorite was still the night that uh, Jared and my cousin Pat played drink, and Drew and our friend Max played win, where we won the game in one turn. <laughs> it's a lot of pong that night, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Josh, what are you drinking? Uh, nothing fancy, but um, I picked up a uh, Blue Moon in honor of Moonlight. So, oh, nice. oh, very nice! Wow, that's a good idea, Lauren. Oh my gosh, what you just thought of a better beer? You should go get a bottle of <laughs> out of the fridge. Ooh, no, that's that's for next episode. I'll bleep it in post. <laughs> okay well yeah that's a great choice <laughs> yeah so that's a that's a whip beer mm-hmm. which is mm, belgian wheat yeah nice. <sighs> now uh, i'm trying well, I'm to because i'm i'm still not uh back to drinking alcohol although that uh, might be pretty soon here we'll see we'll see but uh, but yeah, so nothing super exciting. I, I don't know. I was like kind of dehydrated today anyway, so I needed to 
get some electrolytes, some fluids in me. But Lauren has a fun beer. Yeah, I don't hydrate because I work at a brewery, so <laughs> that's just too darn bad. <laughs> so I'm I'm drinking a hazy double IPA. Uh, it's eight point two percent. Not sessionable. Not no. sessionable. <laughs> Um, so this one was brewed in collaboration with another brewery called Moxa Brewing. Um, I work for Weldworks, so it's Weldworks Moxa, and this guy is um, a little trolly. It is. Uh, it's called Secret Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, okay, check out the label though. Here, I'll put it the right way. Make sure she doesn't drip the <laughs> in my lap here. Nice. Do you do you get the reference? Is it not Space Jam? It is Space Jam. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a long, long time. I so when we canned this, I played the entire soundtrack of Space Jam <laughs> the whole time we were canning it. You gotta be appropriate. Nice. Nice. But yeah, this one's delicious. It's made it is made with secret stuff, actually. Oh, secret ingredients. Yeah, mm. may or may not be hops. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been, honestly, the longest episode we've done in quite a while. Uh, and I anticipate part two will probably also be a pretty, pretty hefty one. Hefty. But this has been episode 194 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, yeah, next up, we're going to finish off the Lost Metal. Uh, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and I have had some wonderful guests today. Uh, Josh, thanks for joining us. And Jared, as always. Heck yes. And Lauren. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.